All right, good morning on this beautiful, snowy winter morning. How many of you, winter's your favorite season? Oh, just like the four of us. All right. I love winter. I love outside. I feel alive when it's cold and it's crisp and the snow's out and it feels really quiet and silent and you could take a walk out in it. I love fires and candles and soups. I love it all. Give me winter. I, I love it. My wife, not as much. In winter, we are starting the year. It's January and we're almost done the first month of the calendar year. We have, for the month of January, been doing what many people do at this time of year, reflecting on who we are and what we want to accomplish this year. What are our goals? What's our vision? What is our cultural values that we hold to as a church? Today, we are closing out our vision series, and we have not been super creative with the vision series. It is basically called the vision series. There's not a creative title to it, but it is Five weeks of us sharing what our mission is as a church, and then what our four cultural values are of how we achieve that mission, how we live that mission out. Our mission, and we have said it every week, multiple times, drilling it into you, is four words, lead people to Jesus. And when we say leading people to Jesus, we mean it in two ways. We mean, one, people who have never heard about Jesus, who have never got the chance to experience his love and grace, that we, out of our love and generosity and our lives, are leading them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But it also means we are leading one another, encouraging each other to a greater understanding, a greater relationship, a greater love with our creator, personified and lived out, in the Son, in Jesus Christ. We talked about four ways that we do that. Today we'll talk about the fourth. We talked about teaching a beautiful Jesus, which means everything we teach at the church is through the lens of Jesus. We read the Bible as, the Bible is a collection of stories, both human and divine, that lead to Jesus. And so we read the scripture with Jesus in mind. We counsel, we teach children's church, we run small groups with Jesus at the center of it. We talked about cultivating a consistent community. And what does it mean that community is not an optional part of living out faith in Jesus, but is a central part of the gospel? That loving each other, showing grace to each other, committing a life shared with one another is a part of God restoring back the world and the relationship at the center of it. Last week, we talked about embracing sacred space. And we talked about the idea that I want to experience God's presence. I don't just want it in my head. I want it in my heart. I want to feel it in my bones to know that there is something happening when the people of God gather together more than just clever preaching or nice systems, that there is a transcendent experience that our God lives and is still moving and working in his church body. Today, we're going to talk about missional life. How does this play into it? How does the mission of leading people to Jesus actually impact our life, impact the community around us, and ultimately, hopefully, in the most ideal view, impact the world a little bit to be more like the kingdom of God? As Jesus says, this is a charge for us, a way for us to pray, that we would pray that God's kingdom comes more and more on this earth as we wait on his return, that we pray that this place, this earth, our lives would look more like his kingdom. And I want sacred spaces. I want to experience God's presence here among his people in the church. 
I want to have community that I can rely on. I want to be able to read scripture with Jesus at the center of it. But talking about a missional life means it is not all self-referential. We don't do it just so we're doing it, so that we feel it, so that we experience it, to come back and experience it again. That what happens in this community when we interact with our maker transforms us to live a more loving life, transforms us to have greater peace and joy, transforms us to advocate for those who are vulnerable and to love others into the kingdom. That what happens here doesn't stay here. D.L. Moody has a quote kind of about living life and that the warning is not that we would not accomplish something in our life, but rather he says it like this. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that does not matter. We live in a culture where we have a million opportunities in our life to fix our energies, to spend our time, to focus our emotions on things that ultimately don't matter. And I'll share with you an example. My most successful, my most well-responded, most liked, most commented internet presence of all time, and I put up YouTube videos of me preaching, and I comment scripture verses, and I share things God's speaking in my life, but my most popular by far is a comment I put on ABC's The Bachelorette Instagram account where I said, oh, Claire and Dale's relationship didn't work out after two weeks of knowing each other and then getting engaged, I'm not surprised. A sarcastic comment about a season of The Bachelorette is my most famous internet post. It's over a thousand likes and comments from other people in it. No, don't cheer that. I'm both proud and very sad about it. <laughs> we have at our fingertips in our lives so many opportunities to focus energies, to focus time, to focus even relationships around simple distractions and entertainment in our lives. Many of us spend massive amounts of time getting really, really good at things that ultimately don't matter. The church of Jesus Christ, God's mission here on earth to seek and save the lost, to love the community, to bring it more like the kingdom, is an opportunity for each of us to contribute to something that doesn't just matter in our lives now, but ultimately has eternal value. God's mission plan of loving his people, God's creator plan of restoring order back and justice back and love back to his creative people. And I want to say this, because it's tempting in a sermon like this to emphasize the idea of a missional life means I have to go out with a great amount of pressure, I have to pray at an altar with a great amount of pressure that my life would be somehow significant in that I become a missionary or I become a pastor or I have to witness to every one of my coworkers before I transfer out or before I graduate, I have to do all of this and we could stay awake with a lot of guilt and shame over that. This is not about finding a call to be a missionary or to become a pastor, but it is about being aware of the intentions of our lives and being aware of, is our life leading others towards more love to experience Jesus Christ? Or am I living just for my own entertainment? 
Tish Harrison Warren has a phenomenal book on this called Liturgy of the Ordinary, where she speaks about our missional life can oftentimes be what we're doing from sunrise to sundown and taking care of our home and our family of making the bed and doing the laundry, of preparing dinner and saving up resources, hosting others in our home and raising our children and giving generously to others and managing our resources so we can. That living a life centered around Jesus is our mission. Missional life means that you know what you're living for, that you know why you live and why you exist. A missional life for us as followers of Jesus means you are living for the kingdom of God and Jesus' loving grace. It can be working a great job and being generous with the resources God has blessed you with. It can be using your free time to host others in your home, to love them and pray for them and care for them, to contribute in the body of the church, to serve and care and give to others, to teach scripture. It can be raising your kids and loving your family well. The Apostle Paul says this to the church in Ephesus, what I think is an incredibly encouraging word about not just having a missional life, but why we have a missional life, the value God has spoken into us and the power he has given into our lives. He says this to the church of Ephesus early on in his letter, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. He writes, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I pray that you would understand more clearly the character of the God you serve, the character of the God that made you and animates you and has loved you and has a purpose for your life so that you can more clearly understand the love and value God has for you and for your life and for your existence, that your life matters to him. That at the beginning of time, speaking stars and planets into existence, he thought of each of us and this community and loved us and saw us as a part of his mission and family. You are a part of God's story of redeeming and remaking his creation. We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of his grand plan of restoring this world. I grew up in a Christian home. And I gave my life to Jesus at six years old at a revival service and a pastor gave a sermon about missing a plane either by hours or by minutes. And at six years old, that really resonated to me. And so I raised my hand at that little sermon. And uh, I don't know about how that works with six-year-olds, but I know for me that that actually did mean something to me. And it, it started my life on my trajectory of serving Jesus. Um, And then I grew up in this church and went to kids' church and was involved in youth group and played bass guitar on Sunday mornings. But I will say that my faith never became exciting to me or passionate to me until I was 15 years old. And I'll tell you why. At 15, I got invited into a little youth group leadership team. And we went on a retreat. And in that retreat, 
the leader, our youth pastor, the other leaders in the room, my fellow teenagers that were also invited to this team, we spoke over each other's lives and encouraged each other. And one of the things they said to me is, you are not just a funny guy. I was very, very funny back then. I think I still am, but I was definitely funny back then. And they said, you're not just a funny guy. We see in your life potential and value and you lead passionately and you care about what God cares about and there's so much potential in your life and we want to affirm that in you. I was a Christian already and I grew up in a Christian home and I was involved in a church, but it was the moment I began to realize that I had value in contributing to what God was doing, that I was a part of this and he wanted me to be a part of it and my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ saw value in me and wanted me to be a part of it, that I became electric for the mission of what God was doing and my life was never the same after that meeting. My view of church was never the same after that retreat because I saw that my individual contribution to the community of what God was doing had value. And let me say, at the close of this series, as we're talking about what God wants for our church, Pennington AG Church, in 2022, you have value to what God is doing here in this church. You have value to the mission of leading people to Jesus. You have value in loving our community and loving one another, of pointing others towards their creator in Christ Jesus. You have value to what we are doing. And it's not just me saying it. As the Apostle Paul has written, you have value to your maker and your creator and your savior and Lord sees you and knows the value you have in moving this mission forward. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, Peter says this to the church and it's an incredible encouragement and reaches all the way back to the Old Testament. He says this, speaking to the early church, but we can see shadows and, and continuation of this today. But you are not like that. You're not like the rest of the world. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Let's break this down in just a few parts. You are chosen. You are chosen to be a part of this. God saw you, knew you, loved you, and chose you and believed in what you could bring into his family, into his mission, into the kingdom of God. This is a pattern that God does always. And you may be sitting there right now, maybe you haven't really gotten that plugged in yet, or maybe you are and you've always had self-doubt this happens, let me assure you, nearly every single time I or someone from the staff reaches out to somebody and talks to them about leadership potential. Almost every time. When we say, I think you could lead a small group, they'd be like, no, I don't, I don't know. Me? I don't, I don't think I can. You can lead this team. I don't know if I can. You can be an elder on the board. I don't know. Let me, can I pray? I'm not sure about it. Sometimes when I do tell someone, they're like, yeah, you're right. I can lead. That's a huge red flag. But you are chosen to be a part of this. And God has, for all time, chosen people who really didn't deserve it, weren't really up to the challenge of it. And then he, through his spirit and by his grace, empowered them to contribute into the mission. We see this from Genesis chapter 11, when he calls Abram, soon to be Abraham. 
He calls somebody who lies, who cheats, who has terrible sexual relations with his wife and their servants and then lies about his wife and gives her over to the Egyptian pharaoh and all of these crazy things that he does. You would look at it and you say, that person's not worthy. That person God's going to build on. We see that pattern from his sons to the next, to King David and his murderous, selfish, molesting values of who he is through to the prophets in the New Testament. For 2,000 years, we have seen churches, Christians, pastors, leaders live God's grace, flaws, and the mission continues forward. If you at all think that you're unworthy of it, I will tell you, number one, yeah, you, we are unworthy of it. Our sin makes us unworthy. But God's grace declares us worthy in his kingdom. Christ's death and resurrection makes you worthy. The presence of his spirit in your life empowers you to be able to contribute. Paul is making a connection here by calling us a chosen people. He is intentionally saying to the church and to us today, like Abraham, chosen out of those people, like Joseph, chosen for a purpose, we are just like those patriarchs in Genesis chosen for our time, for this mission, to be a part of God's rescue plan. It's still true today. You are a part of God's mission of redeeming and recreating and loving the world here in Pennington, in Mercer County, in New Jersey, the U.S., Western Hemisphere, the planet Earth. In 2022, you are an intentional part of God's plan. Let that sink in. You are alive today. You are called today for a purpose and a plan that God has to bring love and restoration and grace into this world. Next, Peter says, you are a royal priest, a holy nation. This one's a little stranger for us in the modern time, especially because you're watching me either in person or online and you're thinking, well, no, you're paid to do this. You are a priest. You're a pastor role. You're up there. You have your skinny jeans. You're qualified for this. We are, as the New Testament says, the royal priesthood. We are the church called for this mission and plan. He's referring back to a passage in Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, where it says, And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. In this time, they thought of people like somehow we think of the pastors or preachers on TV or online. Of There are particular men and women called for this, with a purpose for this. And throughout, the biblical story is fighting that narrative. It's pushing back against it. Repeatedly, God is saying, yeah, I set men and women aside for a specific purpose because they're gifted in communicating or organizing or evangelizing or, or the prophetic, but they are not the only pastoral presence in this world. My community I have called is the pastoral presence in this world. The, the Israelites in Exodus were the presence of pastoral in their community. The church today is that pastoral presence. And I'll give you an encouragement. This is what a priest does. When you read Exodus and the stories, when you read Numbers and Deuteronomy, what a priest does is they stand in the gap and they advocate for God's people and they communicate God's will to God's people. So they stand in between God and man, and they speak to God on behalf of his people, 
Oftentimes you're like, God, I know, I, I know, I know. But just in your mercy and your grace, then they speak to the people and they say, I know that it's hard, but God's will is the best way to live and it will bring you life and love if you follow it. They stand in this gap. This is the same gap we stand in when we say leading people to Jesus. We're doing the same thing. We are standing in the gap between humanity and between God, their maker, and we are introducing them to Jesus. And then we are praying to Jesus and to God, and we are advocating for the world. God, reach them, soften their hearts, speak to them, heal them. We have that same call to be the ones advocating and standing in the gap. It is our mission to do so. And I know that sounds grandiose, but it's true. In our service, in our generosity, in our joy, in our grace, and in our mercy, we stand in the gap between God and man. Peter also says we are God's possession. And let this be the greatest encouragement in this. 1 Corinthians 6.20 illuminates what Peter is saying here. Paul says, For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. If you've seen the movie Account of Monte Cristo, there's amazing moments in that movie. It's one of my wife's favorite films. There is a moment in there where he's caught on the beach by these pirates and they're going to kill him. And he's like, no, I can help you. I have skills and talents. They say, all right, here's the lowest ranked member of our group. We don't really like him. And so fight him. Whichever of you survives, you can join our crew. If you kill him, you're in. If he kills you, all right, then we move on with our life. He wins, has him by the throat with a knife, and he says, no, I will extend mercy and save the life of this man. His reply to him is, you have shown grace to me. I will be your loyal servant for the rest of my life. You have given me back my life. Whatever you need from me, I will do for you. Whatever you ask of me, I will be there for you. Paul says this of our calling, Christ Jesus, that our God has stepped down out of heaven. He has put himself in our place on the cross. He has died for our sin and shame in our place, taken on the burden of our sin, conquered death itself through the resurrection so that we could live forever with him. And Paul says, this God bought you back with his own very life. This God loved you so much that he gave of himself for you. And we have nothing to do but to then serve that God and love him the way he has loved us. We do not see it as enslavement. We see it as a joy to serve the one who deserves our loyalty. And so with God's possession, he owns us, he has called us, we are his valued possession. And then the last thing Peter writes is to show others the goodness of God. And this is what we call leading people to Jesus. This is our mission that they would know the goodness of the God that made them. And I believe the goodness of God is seen most clearly, most perfectly in the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And if I can show them Jesus, they will know the love that God has for them. If I can show them Jesus, they can experience his presence now by his spirit. If I show them Jesus, they will know that their life has value and meaning because of how God loved them. As the disciples said in Mark chapter 1, our simple directive is come and see. Come and see. 
Come and experience what I have experienced. Come and hear what I have heard. Come and know the God who made you. Just come and see and be a part of it. This leads us then into the most famous directive we have, and I've taught it many times from this stage. If you've gone through growth track, you've heard this already, but I believe it is worthy of repeated teaching. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is how then we live out this mission, is one aspect of that directive. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus speaking to the church before he ascends into heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. As we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit is active and alive. And the Holy Spirit coming on us serves a purpose. Not just so we stand at the altar and feel like God is there. But so that we go and love the world and introduce them to the God that we know. How do we do that? He gives a directive, and it's concentric circles. It starts close to home, it gets wider, and then it gets wider. Jesus literally gives us a map and a playbook of how to do this. He said, in your neighborhood, to your neighbors, in in Jerusalem, in your home, share with your neighbors, in your community around you, the people you literally live with. Peter chapter 3 tells us how to do this with our neighbors. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you, about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. There are just two aspects to this. Live differently than the world around you. Live out the fruit of God's presence in your life with joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Live this out of your life. And then when others see that your life is different and ask, why do you have so much joy? Why do you have peace? Why do you have such control in your life? Be ready to tell them. It's because of what Jesus has done. It's because I serve a God who has loved me and has given his spirit into my life. I serve a God who has modeled for me this life in Christ Jesus. And a call for our church, particularly as we come out of a pandemic, hopefully as we come out of a pandemic, is to bring back into our lives an invitational culture that had a tendency to atrophy during times of separation and being shut in to invite people again into our homes and to love them, to invite people again into small groups and mid-sized groups of what God is doing, to invite them again into services and fun community events that we do to come and see and be a part of what God is doing. An invitational culture and life is not about detailed homiletics of how to explain something to someone. It's simply having a relationship with people, not with an agenda to bring them to church, but because made in the image of God, they have value and love them as that value. In loving them, they will get to know you. And as they know you, they will ask you what makes you who you are. And in that moment, as Peter tells us, be ready to explain the value God has given into your life. And as you explain that value, do the difficult, scary part of asking someone, Do you want to come and see? Do you want to experience it too? Can I pray for you in this moment? Do you want to come to my small group? Do you want to just visit on a Sunday morning? Do you want to come to our next event outside? Do you want to come and be a part of it? It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. A life lived organically, seeing God's love in us. And then it moves to the nation. 
He says, Judea and Samaria. It's kind of weird that he groups them together because the Israelites would not have grouped them together. But I think what he means is the people you like and the people you don't like. The party you agree with and the party you don't agree with. The person at Thanksgiving that you love talking to and the person that you don't. Everybody in your nation, reach them next. We see Paul in Romans 1.8 have a burden for the nation he's a part of. He says, I got to go to Rome. It's the kingdom that I'm a part of. I am a Roman citizen. As much as I believe in one-on-one relationships and God's call and planting churches, in my heart is still a burden for the nation he planted me in, a burden for the kingdom that I live in, that I have a burden to see it transformed and reached and renewed by Christ's power. We have that same call. We don't worship America or the history of it. I am grateful to live here and for the religious freedom that we have. But we need to be a work of the church of making this nation better. We do it first by praying over all of our leaders, the ones we like and the ones we don't like, praying for God to speak to them, praying that they be led by grace and mercy in their own lives. We do it by deciding who we support with our votes, with our language, in our lives, by who is living on kingdom principles. Who is loving and caring for the vulnerable? Who is speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves? Who is loving others as Jesus taught us to love one another? And then we do it through participating in our community with organizations that partner with Christ's call to love and care for the vulnerable. As we work through Kingdom Builders this year, even in February, as we start our year out with our first one, it's nice and simple to get our feet wet, back into it, here in the place, assembling meals together to go to Trenton Area Soup Kitchen. We will show you and partner with organizations that are doing good work in Mercer County and in our nation that we want to partner with. And then lastly, he says, to the ends of the earth. As we say in growth track, there's a cheesy joke that we always say, because when we're like, when he says Jerusalem, what do you think that means? It means neighborhood. When he says Judea and Samaria, what do you think that means? Nation. When he says to the ends of the earth, what do you think that means? To the ends of the earth. That one is obvious. The whole planet God wants to reach. And this is harder for us to do on our own steam. This is harder for us to do when we just own the mission of Pennington AG Church here in our church building. We need to have eyes and ears and hearts that are global in scope and reach. And this is why God gives us partners. This is why we bring them in when they're stateside so you can hear about their lives and love what they're doing and spread the gospel around the world. As Paul writes to the Romans, how will anyone go unless you tell them, how will anyone go and tell them unless they're sent? That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. You may never go to Colombia, but you can send and support our missionary partners, the Koreas who go there. You may never go to Turkey or Central Eurasia, but you can go and support our missionaries that go there. You may never go to Angola and Central Africa, but you can support and love the missionaries we partner with who go there. As Matthew writes, the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come, and then Christ will redeem and restore. Lastly, we look at how we live this out in our individual lives. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. Back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts to grow 
so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Each of us is a part of a whole. We are not just individuals doing our individual mission. We are individuals brought together, committed together by the mission of leading people to Jesus. And I need you and you need me. We are hands and feet and eyes and hearts and heads brought together with a mission collectively. And we do this by shared life. What this means is what you bring in to this community individually either contributes or doesn't contribute to the whole of what God is doing to us collectively, through us collectively. And this means I need to be at work in my own life, faithfully and dedicatedly pursuing Jesus at home and outside of this room. I spend 98% of my week not together with the rest of you. And I need to, in my home life, be living a missional life in my own life. It needs to be affecting who I am and my character. When you have a mission to do, you have to be healthy to do it. If you see an Olympic athlete, they don't train just the week before the Olympics. They don't get there and be like, okay, I got to get good at downhill skiing now. They have trained their whole life to be there. We train our six days of the week to come together on this seventh. We train 51 weeks out of the year. For another week, we go on a short-term missions trip somewhere. We train 8, 10, 20 years of our life for one conversation we have with somebody that ushers them into the kingdom and the loving presence of Jesus. I can't help anyone, I mean this sincerely, if I'm a mess. Maybe, and God is gracious and can and has done that, but it's so much harder for him to work through me when I'm a mess. And I need to commit in my life to bring it back in order. To study the Bible and practice stillness in prayer, as we have talked about all throughout this series, that in my own home life, I need to have a committed plan of how I'm studying Scripture. What else I'm reading that illuminates the book for me to point to Jesus? That I need to have patterns in my life where I quiet down to hear the Spirit in my life, to hear God's voice directing me and guiding me. We can get really good at doing church, but doing church is not the mission of living in Christ's power and presence. We need to be about the mission of knowing Jesus and making Him known. And then, honestly, and this is maybe even the harder one than that, you can accomplish that, but the second part of it is we need to invest into Christ-centered relationships and deal with our stuff. Deal with it with each other. We can hide it alone when you're in loving relationship with three, four, twelve other people and you're honestly vulnerable before them. Eventually, our issues can't be hid anymore. And we have to deal with it and open it up. And that is why Christ gave us consistent community to draw out those broken parts of ourselves and in loving, gracious community, guide each other towards healing. Jesus worked through his disciples' issues together. He spent three years working through their spiritual and emotional problems and then he gave them the spirit to continue that work. Matthew 20, James and John go get their mom in order to advocate for them to tell Jesus, my sons are better than everybody else's. John 21, Jesus works through Peter's guilt and shame of denying and cursing his relationship with Jesus. And we all know that person who has a great sense of the mission theoretically 
that are all about sharing Jesus or talking about Jesus or explaining the gospel to people, but in their life is absence of love. We either do this from a place where we are not loving and we're kind of angry and we're browbeating and we tell people, come and become a Christian so you can be miserable and angry and bitter just like me. Come and have what I have. And they're like, no thanks, buddy. Or we can live in where we're so disorganized in our life that we've never disciplined our life before Christ. We've never had him get our lives in order, our tongue, our relationships, our resources to come in order, that we share about Jesus. And maybe we're a loving person, but we're missing any of the order God has brought into our lives. And again, they say, I don't really want that life. To allow the Holy Spirit to organize and work and soften our hearts that others can come into his presence. Because Jesus says this of being full of love. John 13, 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And we can boil it down. Simply put, there's a lot of theories, systems, structures, and we can teach them to you and have at other times how to share your faith, how to be involved in kingdom builders, where those projects and plans go, how to serve your neighbors, how to get involved. But ultimately, the mission is love. That's the mission. We receive the love of God as shown most fully through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as we experience his love, and as we are filled with his loving kindness, our mission is then to go and do the same for others, to love them as Christ loved us, to love each other as Christ loved us. This is recorded by John of Jesus' words in John 13, verse 55, as Madison already read once today. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not your systems in place, not the quality of your worship music, not the eloquence of the preaching or even the prayers. It is your love that will reveal that you are my disciples. It is how quickly and freely you are able to forgive. How openly and vulnerable you are able to admit when you are wrong and have hurt another. How fully you are able to live a life of grace and mercy and generosity and care and advocacy for the vulnerable. Are you living that love out of your life? In John 13, where this verse arises, is inside of and following a longer story where Jesus gives us a demonstration of this. He gives us an object lesson. He takes his disciples into an upper room. Gathered together, he asks them to take their shoes off and their bare feet are out. They wear sandals. They work outside. They don't shower as often as we do today. And so they have grimy feet. And he, in their presence, says he takes off his cloak, wraps it around him, gets on his knees with a bucket of water and a towel, and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And I've done this exercise before, and there's a kind of weird, trippy thing that happens in it. People don't like you washing their feet. Maybe it doesn't sound that surprising to some of you. It's a weird, vulnerable act, right? And people are like, no, no, I don't want you to do that. It's weird. It's too intimate. Don't do that. And this happens to Jesus too. Peter's like, no, don't, I don't want you to do that. Don't humiliate yourself by doing that for me. We have an ability to model or demonstrate loving actions 
and then we struggle to allow others to love us. Particularly as Christians, we're really bad at this. I cannot tell you how many times people in this church who are great prayer warriors praying for other people, I find out two weeks later that they're like, yeah, I had a tumor and I had surgery. I'm like, you didn't tell any of us. You didn't let us love you in the process. And you thought you were doing something generous, but really you were robbing me of my ability to love and care for you. You were robbing us of our ability to walk this together. And it's because it's scary. It's scary to be vulnerable. It's scary to let each other in. And this is why Christ says, my spirit is among you. I love you. I have value for you. And regardless of what vulnerability you show, what weakness gets erosion, what evil things you have done, you can know my love and value will remain on you for all of your days and all of eternity. I give it freely and no one can take it away from me, from you. So when we are loving each other, we can take that risk because we know his love is steady. As Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, he says, this is how I will be a part of you, by you letting me love you and by me loving you and caring for you. And this is our call, simply to love each other, to cleanse each other's feet, to welcome each other in in vulnerable moments intimate moments of our life and to allow the rest of the world to allow the church to get on its knees and to cleanse its dirt and grime and to love the rest of the world into the kingdom of Christ. They don't need us to tell them they're sinners. Don't need it. Don't post it. They don't care. I'm dead serious about that. Your coworker doesn't care if you point out that what they're doing is not according to the Bible. They don't care. What they care about is when you love them and you care about them genuinely. It is through our love that we will transform this world. It is through God's love that he transformed each of our lives. And that will be the missional life that we live outside of this building and outside of this community. I want to give an opportunity to some of you in the room. You may not confidently have a relationship with Christ Jesus. You may not be able to say that you have that loving relationship. And I want to give you a chance just today, in this moment here, to be able to take a first step in prayer and receive his love and grace. If you'll pray that with me. If you are a follower of Jesus, use this as a moment to recommit. Jesus, in this moment, fill us with your love. Like Peter, may I not be afraid of the intimacy of God humbling himself before me, loving me. And then when you replied to Peter, if you don't let me do this, you won't have my presence. And he replied, then give me all of what you've got. Jesus, in this moment, we want all of what you have, all of who you are. Jesus, in this moment, I believe that you lived on this earth as God and man in one flesh, You loved and you taught grace and mercy and love with authority. And then you took our sins and shames onto the cross and you died in our place. That you were buried in the ground and on the third day you rose from the grave, conquering death and sin eternally. And by your resurrection, we may be resurrected and have fullness of life in the future and fullness of life in the present. Jesus, you gave your life for me. 
for us. Today, I give my life for you in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. I want to give you a moment this morning, if you stand up with me all over the room, if you can, to close out in prayer. And as we close out this series, I want to give you just a a codifying opportunity, a sealing moment in this series. As a church, if you look around, these are your sisters and brothers in Christ Jesus. This is your community that Christ has brought together for the mission of leading people into his presence. And we've had two wacky, wild years that have really tested what it means to be community and how we can even do that. And I do believe that over this next year, I believe God wants to do powerful works in drawing us together to love each other, to love the world around us outside of this church. And so as we close, I want to give you an opportunity. Uh, Normally I have elders up here to come and pray. I'm not going to do that today. Instead, what I'm going to ask is, as the worship team comes into this last song, if you could just make a demonstrative experience, a demonstrative uh, expression, that we want to live this mission. I want to live this mission of leading people to Jesus. I want to live this mission out of loving others as Christ has loved me. I want to be a part of that. We will be a part of that. And as you do, I'll invite you just to take a step out of your chair somewhere. Take a step up here to the altar space. Take a step out into the aisles. Move yourself and then with hands stretched either out or up to just say to God, I am here to be a part of your mission, to bring love and the kingdom into this world. As they play, I invite you to just take a step forward wherever you are and to say to God today, we will as a community be about your mission. We will be about leading people to you. We will be agents of your love. If you'll pray this with me, and then as the team leads in, I invite you forward. Lord, we pray over this moment, God, that we are a church with a mission to lead people to you, Jesus. And may we commit ourselves and our community to be about that mission, that we may live a missional life, making you known here in our neighborhood, in our country, and around the world. Through your power in us, Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Let's respond to God's mission this morning.